0: Back week two, Soothing melodies with the Black the podcast. podcast. <laughs> no, we were talking about how how to intro this when playing a song like that.
1: Yeah,
0: for Idiot. the a little background for for all the audience here, trying to decide on a song for this podcast has been a has been a task. Because, yeah, it's you know, been the hardest thing actually. Golf is, golf is very like a you know like a sombering kind of like upbeat like yeah, yeah like music, and the NASCAR. It's like. Pedal the metal. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. So... If it's not 200 beats per minute, like, we don't want it on the yeah. score. So we haven't quite, uh, ironed that out yet. So we're going to be playing with a few different musics. If there's any musicians out there that want to, uh, you know, get commissioned for, uh, for a little podcast song, we are 100% open to literally that. literally all ears. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Alright, so here we are. Week one, in the books. Uh, probably not greatest from money standpoint, but... Over, but You, you okay. have to start somewhere. Yeah. So, um... You know, from a golf from a golf standpoint. You know, how are you feeling?
1: Yeah. Um I, I think both of us kinda had, um as the race and the tournament rolled down, we had some some guys that were alive. I know Blaney was leading in stage three there. Bell was up there as well before he got involved in the instant. So, you know, we, we had, I think, some right leans, but um, you know, Max Homo wins the Fortnite Championship in at Silverado six six to one and that one I'll be on it hurt. Like I'm I'm not really like I'm not here to like bullshit and be like I just realized you lost our clean and everything right there, <laughs> but it's okay. I'm not, I'm not here to BS and, and, and say, like, you know, like if Scott Stones would have won the tournament, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable coming out here and saying, like, um, like I had no intention of betting Scott Stallings, But Max home at 6-6 to 1, coming back to California. Um, he was in decent ball striking form. He just hadn't been able to putt in the Cup playoffs. Comes back to the Poeta Greens, like we were talking about last week. Some guys are very comfortable on that, and specifically the guys in California. We saw the two guys at the top of the leaderboard, uh, home McNeely um that had tremendous short games and that was really the difference um as we'll get to kind of the picks that i had and, and guys other guys that were in the mix because home and mcneely when they needed up and down they needed the putt to go down the, They they delivered and <clears throat> it, it's, it's consistent with the history of the fortinet and the safeway um as it was formerly known at a place like that where you got to get to 18 19 20 under you got to get the putts to drop and uh we had me prayer the leader tita green uh he was the best ball striker in the field he was the best basically in everything except for putting um, but on the weekend, uh, the putts just didn't go down when they needed to for me, though. Um, I'll kind of, if you don't mind, I'll go through kind of my card and, and kind of the, the touts I did have, what I liked about my touts, what I didn't like, because I think there was quite a bit to learn um, for me this week. Uh, it was an interesting event in Napa because, like I mentioned last week, there were a lot of the Corn Fairy guys that, in like kind of a niche golf community, a lot of guys are really excited for. Guys like a Nick Hardy, guys like Grayson Sig and Adam Spenson these guys that I end up latching onto live because I saw them kind of peak early. I wanted to kind of get ahead of like a potential breakout. But when I look back on it, like it's a tough ask to come out there and like your first PJ start for a lot of guys, for a lot of these guys, like maybe the first PGA start ever. But for guys like Spencer and, and a couple of other guys, like their first PJ start for multiple years. And I think it was maybe a bit too much to ask for them to come out and win. Um, and so that's something that I've definitely got to dial back uh, I, I didn't lose a crazy amount of units last week. It was always going to be a low investment week. So I'm not – like whenever you – you're basically placing – I total investment last week was 10.5 units to win 100. So we're basically placing like a plus 950, plus 1,000 bet. So you don't like expect those to win. You're not kicking yourself over losing um, a bet like that. You obviously love to win. But I think it was really more so how I went about my process with a guy like Homa sitting there at 66-1, a proven win on the PJ Tour. He was touted by Twitter. A lot of smart guys uh, in the golf space had uh, winning homo tickets and looking back it's it's really easy like there are winners that we're going to have in the pg tour that that will blindside you and that will blindside me um like i guess first and foremost if we want to go back to last season phil Mickelson winning the pga i mean out of absolutely nowhere 300 to one and never mind the fact that he's a like the second best golfer of his generation but you know 2021, Finn not supposed to win a yeah, PGA, yeah. right? He
0: didn't have the reason for him. Didn't have.
1: 100%. Like, I, I, I'm i comfortable, like, on a week like that, like, even though I had Kepka and we had Kepka um, at that event, like, I'm comfortable being like, okay, like, I was not going to bet Phil, you know? And, and even when it was Kepka versus Phil at the end and, and Louis was in there as well, like, I didn't even think about hedging on Phil. I'm like, he's not going to win this thing. Like, he's not <laughs> going to. How's Finn Wilkinson in 2021 going to stare down Brooks Kepka on the Sunday of a major championship at? a place like Kewa Island and, and take the win and all credit to Phil, he pulled it off. But I'm, you don't feel as bad as a better when you just don't see it coming right. with a, with a Homa and someone like that. You were either really close to betting or you could looking back, you could really see the path and, and a guy like that has the pedigree to win. You know, it, it makes a lot of the bets i made look worse than maybe they, they are or in my mind. It makes them seem like really kind of, Minus EV bets when guys like Homer were sitting there at 66 to 1. McNeely was a. He hasn't won the PJ Tour, but like I said, he's a California kid. He likes the shorter courses. Uh, you've seen him compete at Pebble Beach and Harbor Town. So it, the card, I, I think I made some good decisions. I, I'm, I'm half of my process in some aspects, but I definitely think I made some mistakes and threw away some units on guys that, let's be honest, like Nick Hardy, Adam Spencer, Peter Uline, their margin for. Their, chances of, their win equity at the end of the day is very, very thin. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and even if you get a guy like that to Sunday, you're really hoping to hang on and just hope for a hedge. So right. I think the Fortinet, I think I, I took a right approach by kind of fading the top of the board, going more towards the long shots, 50, 60 to one and deeper. I'm happy with that. I'm happy about the stats I, I brought in and, and some of the pre-tournament ads I had, but definitely made some mistakes in tournament. Um, maybe whether it was allocating too much money for live ads or the decisions I made um, with kind of guys that were... You know, not I don't think anyone would have expected them to, to win, even if they did play at their ceiling,
0: yeah. No, I, I guess I feel I feel a little similar to that in the NASCAR mm-hmm. world, but um, I guess my only example, I guess kind of like similar to Phil, but not quite the pedigree of Phil, I guess, yeah, yeah, is like I'm a roll of winning this year, right? Like, no, I was on nobody's radar, I'm pretty sure when he hit, um. It was a good it was a good day for the
1: books. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? Like
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean he I think he was like eighty to one when he hit and he hit at New Hampshire. Like if you're gonna bet El you're betting him at a super speedway. Like you're not gonna bet him at New Hampshire. Yeah. So um, yeah, so like for me like that one wasn't but then you've got like other ones that yeah, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. But there's other ones that we've. McDowell comes to mind
1: at Daytona. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Actually, that,
0: that's a really good one. That was the yeah. first first race we ever bet on as a group, and yeah. I legitly had him written down as a note in my notepad, and was like, I'm not gonna write this guy out. Like, yeah, our my are my friend's really gonna bet this with me. Like, there's mm-hmm. no way. Yeah. And like, I didn't bet either. So, but like, looking back, it's like that one made sense. Yeah, like, exactly. You can the, s- everything lined up. Like, McDowell's always been a good super speedway. Did we ever think he was gonna win? Yeah. Probably not. Did it take a wreck for him to get there? Yeah, yeah. Still a Daytona 500 champion. 100%. Still made the playoffs. Yeah. Unfortunately, which I guess we can lead into now. <laughs> yeah. um, he is one of the ones cut from Bristol. Um, not a good race for him. Not a good playoffs. Um, I mean, but to be honest, he's leaving the season as an NASCAR, after- as a Daytona 500 champion. Maybe have a ride, but. Um,
1: at least we'll do an off-season look at maybe uh, yeah you know yeah. when when Some silly season talk yeah when like the Zozo Championships going on for golf and no one's tuning in at least we can have the <laughs> we can have the free agent ads for for NASCAR and stuff like that and see the team movements.
0: But yeah, overall, I was um, I mean, I said it last week. I expected Larson or Bush to win this race. I yeah. mean, like the odds were there for a reason. But with the
1: picks I made, like you said, I was happy. I mean, Blaney was up there all day long. Yeah. Um, I mean, Blaney led was like he he looked like he was pulled away from Harvick at the start of stage 3. Right. And I, I didn't watch the entire I I, I left uh really once he kind of lost the lead I had to go. Right. Um but man, I think he kind of got caught in the lap traffic and that allowed Harvick to um to kind of catch up to him and pass him eventually. Uh and that was kind of his start of his descent down the pack, but Right. There was a point in time where he he was building like a half second, three quarter second lead and that was like I mean if, if this is extended green like this kind of like lead is very hard, it's going to be really tough for these guys to catch
0: for sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, literally, I mean, all my picks were right there. I mean, like, well, all but one, I guess. Mm -hmm. Lagana really didn't really sniff too much up front. I mean, he was running, he was running up front early. Yeah. But he kind of drifted back. But, I mean, hey, Eric Jones, eighth place. Yeah. Matt Avenida, top 10, which actually is one of our hits. (laughs) One of the only ones. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I was overall happy with the card. You know, Mm -hmm. you always love to see some theatrics after the race, which we have between Harvick and and, uh, And
1: Chase. And Chase
0: going forward, that's going to be nice. That's going to be pretty fun. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't really have a lot to uh, to say other than, other than you know, I was happy with the picks that I made. They all made sense. Yeah. I told you guys Larson's probably going to win this race. Yeah. He did. Just, um, it's
1: just a shame our uh, our parlay included Kyle Busch instead of Larson. Yeah. And, I mean, Webb, I mean, Webb, yeah, we, Webb didn't win. We either. didn't get Webb anyways. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: But, but, yeah, so I guess just from a non-betting standpoint, we did lose Tyler Reddick, Eric Amarillo, Kurt Busch, and Michael McDowell from the playoffs. Um, the surprising one there for me is Kurt Busch. Yeah. Um, he actually was – in the running for a pick today, for now, right? He won Vegas last year. Right. He won the race last year.
1: He was actually he was running up there, at Darlington, right before he wrecked. Mm-hmm. He was, I mean, because he if he would have finished that race in the top ten or five, he's in a great position. Oh yeah. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it was I, just watching the broadcast for most of that race. It it was crazy how much um, how much like the bottom four fluctuated. You know, it, like it seemed like Bell was kind of like really really struggled there for a little bit, and then he kind of rose up. The, actually, did I'm sorry, I, I didn't did Bell. Uh, advance? Yeah, yeah. Okay, he did advance. Okay. Yeah. But there was a point in time where he was definitely in the bubble and he kind of rose up to third the place. The two
0: that were most shocking were, the two that are voting avoiding last week was Byron and Bowman. And the They, oh my god, they had incredible races. Yeah. Um, Byron actually finished third, Bowman fifth, wow. and it actually projected them up pretty high in the standings as well. I think Bowman's now seventh in the playoff standings and Byron's eighth. So like, oh wow, so as it stands, they would,
1: as long as they hold serve really, they're going to the final eight. Right. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, um, Yeah, I mean, overall, and then, yeah, our other hit, other than the d top 10, was Blaney over Kurt, which, in retrospect, that looked like an absolute walk, because Blaney was up there all day long. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, and then...
1: Is there anyone, like, uh, you noticed in the race yesterday that you might, like, that exceed your expectations to the point to where you might start to latch onto them going forward? Is there, like, a guy that you come out of uh, Bristol, like, more bullish on than when he first entered?
0: um, In terms
1: of, like, like, a playoff driver? I mean...
0: Yes and no. Mm-hmm. I would say there's one of my picks today is just kind of more of a recent success thing. But I will yeah. say Kevin Harvick he impressed you for somebody who has been lacking speed. Well, just as a team, they've been lacking speed all year. But he's just been noshing out these top tens, top five, just to get into the playoffs, scratching call, And then he comes, you know, a few laps away from winning Bristol. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they still have the speed for him to necessarily win the championship. But if he can, I think he surely can get through to the. To top eight with the way he's running right now, okay. it'd be it'd be fun to see him get in the top four, especially if you know Elliot gets through two and then we have the final race with two guys feuding right now. Yeah, very true. It'd be pretty fun. Yeah. Um, now I will say I'm not touching Harvick right these next, the next probably this whole round. It's this really? round is a very interesting round because you start out with this week at Vegas, we mm-hmm. go to Dagan next week, then we end at the Roval. Oh, okay. So so it's a you,
1: three leg it's a three leg uh, yeah. playoff I yes. guess,
0: and we've got three very different tracks. Yeah, for sure. So um, and that's actually one thing I'll be touching on when we do get to the picks is. A lot of people are going to be viewing this they're going to be circle in this track as hey this is the one we have to hit because yeah. if you're not good super, I mean, super super speedways are unpredictable yeah and then roval i mean
1: some guys just hate road courses yeah and yeah. the rules
0: it's a beast of its own i mean it's it's just a very different road course
1: that's that's really intriguing i like i like that i like the way nascar formatted that because you you can't just be good at mile and a half and get through the next round like you've you've got to be a well-balanced driver right i think that's going forward like i hope nascar kind of keeps that model. Have like a short track, have a road course, have a super speedway, have an intermediate and and vary them. And I'm not sure, I'm not the NASCAR story you are, so I don't know if that's a common theme, but at least for this round, I like that set up.
0: I go back and forth, but I think as a fan, Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of your uh, old NASCAR fans don't love the unpredictableness of like they want, they're used to the days growing up where your guy who's kicking butt all year long is going to be the one who wins the championship. It doesn't come right. down to a playoff. It's not random. Mm-hmm. It's who, who's been running the best all year long.
1: Yeah.
0: I like the playoffs, personally. It's a lot more intriguing to watch. It's, you know... Yeah.
1: It's not over by, like, the fourth the fourth to last race. Yeah, like, exactly. Because there's, there's a scenario where, like, for example, Larson this year could have run away with it, and oh, all yeah. of a sudden, the last month of the season really doesn't matter. Yeah exactly. yeah, exactly. Yeah, for
0: sure. So And I guess one other thing before we move on, from just one more like, recap here. Yeah. Um, so this is an analyst by the name of Jeff Gluck. Mm-hmm. Um, he does, he's a writer for The Athletic. He does a lot of, um, interviews with drivers and, um, he actually does this thing that's pretty cool. He does the, um, 12 questions with the drivers every week he'll pick a driver every week and do 12 questions with them. Yeah. It's a pretty fun little podcast. And then he also does a poll every week. It's called his, it's just like the race poll. Mm-hmm. Kind of say, he, all he says is, was blank a good race? That's all he asks every time. It's yes or no. Yeah. This past week was the all time high. Really? For, and he's been running this poll out of 217 races that he's polled. This finished as the top race of all time. You think
1: the Chase Harvick drama has a lot to do with that, or yes. you think it was just a high quality? Okay,
0: I think it has a lot to do. With that. I think it has a lot to do with Larson winning. Larson's a fan favorite. Okay, you got Chase and Harvick feuding. A yeah. lot of people are happy because there's a lot of people who don't like Harvick, and mm-hmm. Chase was the. You can argue Chase was the reason why Harvick he didn't, didn't win, win this race. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I, I thought there's been a lot more interesting races. So I I don't know if it's the favorite of all my races. Yeah. But at 217 for this to be the top, and then actually his top four poles ever are all Bristol. Um. So all of the okay. Bristol dirt haters right now are loud and proud about why. Oh uh, yeah. or why Are why we taking a race away when these this is by far by and far away the best track. Yeah. I think. Um.
1: I mean, from my point of view, Bristol dirt was kind of a disaster anyway. With counts. how many how many stoppages was? Well, there and more we're, for the dust and everything.
0: Yeah. And my take on is. I'm not opposed to having any dirt race yeah, but don't do it at Bristol do it at any dirt track do it right. at a track that's built for this like an Eldora but it's not mm-hmm. going to happen because that's Tony Stewart owns that track and he's got his awesome. own he, well he has his own racing um, brand now okay so and they actually got very good viewership so they will be growing um, okay so yeah um, overall it was, a, it, was, it was a fun week it was, I mean it's Bristol baby yeah so you knew it was going to be fun yeah. so alright Well, I guess we will. um, I'll go ahead and lead into this week then, while we're on the NASCAR. Unless you had any recaps you wanted to cover. Um,
1: no, you know, we'll. we'll, I've got my opinions on some players have changed, but I think we should save that for next time we see them in a field. Okay. So this week's a Ryder Cup event. Spoiler alert. Um, if you if you don't know (laughs) what's going on in the world of golf this week, um, but yeah, maybe for the Sanders Farm next for the Sanderson Farms next week, we'll get a lot of these guys back, and I'll be able to to. uh, explain my thought process of if I'm fading them going forward or, or there's one guy in particular I'm pretty bullish on so I'll leave that as a cliffhanger for the next time we see him. Alright cool Alright so this week we are off to Vegas. Sin City baby right.
0: um, So this track is a mile and a half intermediate It is a low tire wear intermediate track so your uh, comparisons to this track are going to be Kansas, Michigan Charlotte and Texas okay. um, It's got the tri shape to it as well um, but since it is a low t- uh, low tire wear track, um, track position is key, right? Because um, less pit stops, basically. Well, yes, or like if you have a late race caution, mm-hmm. people can gamble of staying out or just coming in for two tires, right. or it's not as it's not as dependent on hey you have to come in you have to get four tires everyone's okay. coming back out just as they lined up. I mean, like mm-hmm. there's a little more um, wackiness to see in the race if we have a caution at the end, right? Um, just to give an example. The spring 2019 race, our top six was Logano, uh, Matt DiBenedetto, yep. Ricky Stenhouse, Austin Dillon, Jimmy Johnson, Bob Walls. So that was your yep. top six finishers. I was going
1: to say that. I was going to say the more variance there is, like the more likely a long shot winner could hit. Yeah, you 100%. Know? Okay, 100%. cool.
0: Now, going with that, this um, now that we are in the playoffs, and I mentioned this before the podcast, it's very mm-hmm. rare for a... Somebody not in playoffs to win a race when we're in the playoffs. Right. Um, in fact, if, from what I could tell, I think it's only happened once. Mm-hmm. Um, so, most, I think all of my outrights are actually guys who are in the playoffs. I do have a fun one yeah. um, that I can throw out there. We always do. Um, we always
1: like to burn our money on the <laughs> Doug Gims of the world. and Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the Matt DeBendit of the world. No offense, Chris. Yeah. What? you know, he's your version of Doug Gim. Basically, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then this is, we are running the 550 horsepower package here, which is different from last week where we ran the 750. Mm-hmm. Um, the 550 has been dominated by Chevys this year. Um, so you will see that theme throughout my picks very
1: heavily. I can only think of one Chevy team that is uh, like a actual force in the playoffs yeah, right and, now. Yeah, you're pretty much on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that
0: would be Hendrick Motorsports. Okay. So yeah, um, so my, that brings my first bet into play here, um, Chase Elliott revenge game and he is yeah and this is this is really more of a feel than it is a stats base mm-hmm. um, I mean I'm, I, they have been really good at the 580 horsepower mm-hmm. um, they are I mean you can argue that they are the most dominant team coming into the playoffs right um, oh Hendrick for sure yeah like they've dominated this season yeah yeah um, so Elliott, he does have in the, since 2018, he does have one top five, two top tens, three top 20s. He's led 177
1: laps, but he does
0: have two DNFs. Mm-hmm. Um, so just from a stats base, it's hard to make an argument for Chase Elliott.
1: Right. But, but I, I feel like, and, and this is true for golf as well, like you don't mind the DNFs as long as you see the upside. Right. right. Like, cause second and 43rd come, they pay the same amount. You know what I mean? So if you think he's capable of winning, like maybe the fact that he has some bad finishes and maybe some bad luck in the past might depress his number a little bit. Going forward, yeah, that's kind of how I like to think of it. You know, like I don't care if a guy misses the cut, as long as I still believe he has the upside if he would have played well to win. Right. You know.
0: Well, and for me, like I said, it's more of a feel thing. So just the way he ran, mm-hmm. I feel like the way he's run over the last two races. He's just he's consistently up there with speed. You can argue he probably could have won this race if it wasn't for him having to come into the pit. Right. Um, over the last seven races at Vegas, he's the seventh best driver as far as driver rating. Mm-hmm. Um, over let's see. Over the last, what last six at one mile and a half intermediates, yeah. he has the um, ninth best driver rating. Okay, And then just his rating over the last six races, like I mentioned, he's third. And over the last 15, he's second. Okay. So just from a field perspective, I just feel like this just feels like an Elliott win to me. Um, also, I went back and just because just I want to kind of refresh my brain on, on Vegas, I went back and watched like a quick 10-minute recap of the last two races Yeah, at um, Las Vegas, and Chase was up there every single time. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So, now, I can argue, if we go, the further we go back in the Hendrick history, now, I could be completely off-base here, but there are kind of untold hierarchies within teams, correct? Yes, yeah. So, I would argue, right now, Chase is the number two at Hendrick. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Definitely. And so... Last year I wouldn't have labeled him number two at Hendrick. He would be the top chair, for me, right? And would you agree with that? Like over Jimmy Johnson over. Yeah, Irwin I mean, yeah, Donovan? I
0: mean, it's, if you're talking about recent form and who has the best chance of winning, yes, Chase Elliott was was number one last year, by right. probably by a long shot, Hendrick. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you want to look at your just overall track record i think jimmy johnson's your one but he hadn't been running well for a few years right so but yeah i'm just talking about the last the last two times he's definitely definitely the number two chair at hendrick this Mm -hmm. year yeah um and larson's definitely been quicker but by by a long shot which i will touch on that a little bit (laughs) um but i just think with the way he's been running and you never know the unpredictability of of any race Mm -hmm. you know what if larson comes out and hits the wall early yeah, on and then one. Never, is never able to recover. You know, low tire tracks, five fifty horsepower, it's it's hard to pass and the, so it's all about, you know, track position and, and, and keeping it. Yeah. Um so yeah, mean, like I said, it's it's really just a field thing for me. No, hundred percent. But
1: I'm, yeah, I'm not I'm not undermining you, I'm just um trying to play a little devil's advocate it's no, as yeah, best yeah. I can with my limited knowledge. <laughs> and I mean it's it's priced in. You know what I mean? Like Chase, I'm sure do you have do you say the number you got him at?
0: Um I got him plus eight hundred. What is that now? He's a eight hundred as well. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Kyle Larson is Plus two ninety. So you're looking at basically, you're getting Elliot at about three times the odds right. as Larson, which is kind of absurd. Like if with with his track history and like you said, the form that he's in, like you, if you run this race an infinite amount of times, you don't expect Larson to win three times as much as Elliot. Right. You know what I mean? That's kind of what you're playing. Right. And coupled with the fact that you don't want to go into a NASCAR event or really a golf event as well. In a field this big with this much variance, you never want to go with just one. You don't want to put all your eggs in, in one basket. Even if even if he might win the most, just the fact that something can go wrong and all of a sudden your whole card is destroyed. Oh yeah, you yeah, know what I mean. Yeah. So yeah, I, I 100% agree. I, that's why I don't like taking like just single-digit numbers in golf and in in general. And racing is a little bit different because there's definitely a. A smaller contingent of players of of drivers that can win on a week-to-week basis, Mm -hmm. like like you said earlier, like an eighty-to-one in in NASCAR is very rare. Whereas in golf, it it happens a bit more frequently. Right. Um. But yeah, I I hundred percent agree with you. You want to give yourself as many outs as possible. Right. Yep. Especially like you said with the variance that that tends to happen here in Vegas. So, um, and I will point out that
0: in doing this research, I was um I was very much between who I want to go with in that 800 range because there's a lot of guys that are sitting right there because yep. like, you, you got Larson at the top, you got a little bit of a drop off to Kyle Bush, which I do want to mention while we're here on Kyle Bush. Mm-hmm. It wasn't on the platform that we use for betting but there was a platform out there that opened up with Kyle Bush at plus 1500 and people what? hammered it. That's crazy. Yeah. Hammered it. Um, so
1: now Vegas is putting phone calls in and ask like, just make sure Kyle gets a, <laughs> gets a couple of penalties up here. We don't want to go broke. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Understood. Uh, but your other three guys in that range were Elliot, Hamlin, and Truex. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really struggling between who I want to go with, Elliot and Truex. Truex is another field guy where yeah. I went back and just kind of looked at Las Vegas and he's there every single time. He has two wins here. No, one win here. I'm sorry. Yeah. One win, but four top fives. He has a third best driver in the last seven. So yeah. um just kind of a pivot there if you're not feeling the hendrick train yeah true I think is another surefire bet here i'm not going with him um yeah. but that was my thought process there okay um next guy on my list um well next guy on my list for the odds that i got him at not the odds he's at now
1: but you can shop around also yeah you know like we're you're not we're looking we're looking at a specific book that me and chris happen to share but i've got multiple books that i i can shop around lines and i I would encourage that if you're serious about gambling, like you should have as many books that you trust as possible, and that way you can pick off lines based on, you know, because um, I mean different books hate different lines, especially with NASCAR and golf. Like you can find like discrepancies, like Chris uh, said, you know, like a book could open one guy at plus a thousand, another guy at plus fifteen hundred. Like that happens all the time, so it's tough to have outright winners. So when you do it, you want to get paid as much as possible on your on your bet.
0: Right. Yeah. So this guy. Um... He opened up at what? Did he open up at. He opened up at plus sixteen hundred. Okay. I got him plus fifteen. Mm-hmm. He's now down to plus thirteen. Yep, I see him. Ryan Blaney. Ryan Blaney. Ryan Blaney. We're going back to the well on Ryan Blaney. Yeah.
1: Um. So yeah. <laughs> the BFFs. You got you got the two amigos here on your card.
0: Yeah, yeah. you're right.
1: Y R B. That's called yeah. That's, that's chemistry right there. Yeah. Team yeah. chemistry.
0: <laughs> 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 so yeah, uh, over the last seven races at Las Vegas, he's sixth best, so one better than um, Chase Elliott. Um, his average finish over at Las Vegas over the last seven is also sixth best. Um, His rating at mile and a half intermediates is eighth. Um, His rating over the last six races is sixth. So he's just right there in every category. Yeah. He's Um, really, I mean, he won
1: what, the last two events before the playoffs? Is that true? Yeah, he's got two of the last three wins, basically. So to get a guy like that at 1,300.
0: Um, Four top fives, five top tens, six top 20s, no DNFs. Mm -hmm. Um, He hasn't led a lot of laps here. um, But yeah, these stats just, don't make sense for the plus fifteen hundred or the plus thirteen for that matter. I mean, yeah. I just don't. I I really do think if you were to ask me if I was if I was an odds maker and I was making these odds, mm-hmm. I would have Blaney ahead of Logano by
1: a long wow. shot. Any particular reason? Because it is going back to the the kind of the hierarchy on teams. Do you do you see them <coughs> as kind of one A one B or do you see Logano clearly ahead of uh, or maybe because last for that matter, do you see one of them clearly ahead of the others or are they kind of one A one B one C, at Penske?
0: You know that's that's a tough one. Penske's really hard for me to judge. I, I would think that Logano is is probably the one there, and you could probably argue that him, that Blaney and Kez are probably two A two B there. Mm-hmm. Um, now with Kez out the door, I mean Blaney steps into the two role without a doubt because that's true. there is there is that that motive where, um, whenever it's whenever a guy has signed a new deal go somewhere else, that that current team is no longer they're not gonna. Exhaust their efforts to make that car the best car. They're not going to exhaust their efforts to include him in all the competition meetings. Yeah, definitely. They're going to kind of fade him out a little bit because they know he's leaving. Whereas, you know, when, yeah. that way when they're eliminated from the playoffs and preparing for next year, invest in your future. Yeah, <clears throat> 100%. Um, so, yeah, I would. I mean, Ramblay <coughs> is definitely that guy now. The um, yeah. reason my boy Logano, his odds just don't make sense. At, on the book that we're using, at least, I know there are other books that have him at, at 20 to 1, which at that price, oh, I'd wow. take that. that is, that's a um, big discrepancy there. 20 but to he is just not good at this style track. Mm-hmm. Um, he was 9th at the spring race in Vegas, which isn't bad, but he was 16th at Charlotte, 17th at Kansas. Okay. Um, so the stats don't really line up there
1: for Logano, mm-hmm. uh, especially as they do for Blaney. He hasn't won um, in a while, though. I feel like Logano hasn't. Hasn't won like he, he always seems underwhelming to me. I don't know what it is like. I'm obviously an outsider. Like I don't pay attention to it as closely as maybe a lot of listeners or you do. But he seems like a guy that kind of gets doesn't get the most out of his equipment. I don't think it's that. I mean, he is from a winning perspective. Like from an outright perspective. Like I feel like he like as a number one at Penske. Like he is like in my opinion. I thought he is kind of the face of like Penske Motorsports right now at least right. when he made that move from Joe Gibbs. Uh, to become kind of that top guy at Penske like I feel like he should win more like he should be up there cha- I know he's won a championship but he should be up there challenging for, for championships year and year out and I feel like he doesn't do that as much as maybe his equipment should allow him to I think
0: he I think he's he'd surprise you I mean he's been he's been right there every year pretty much okay. um at least for the last three years you know he was he is a champion three years two years yeah. ago so um yeah I, I think like just one he's one of those guys where like he just feels like he's like a man of consistency yeah that yeah um, he's
1: like um he's the xander Shoffley of, of nascar right. like he you see him every every major xander Shoffley's somehow sixth but he never had a chance to win that right that event you know
0: he also doesn't get a lot of um i guess support from fans because he's not loved by fans oh in, no in
1: fact he's probably probably the second most hated behind Kyle Busch. so yeah well we all know about the kansas incident at bristol right speaking of bristol Yes. It, it was a Kenza that wrecked him. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was Bristol, right? Did I get that right? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I thought they
0: mentioned that in the broadcast. So, um, so yeah, we're going back to YRB. I think, like I said, che- um, Chevy is the the manufacturer you want to have for this package that they're running, especially at Vegas. Mm-hmm. But if there was one driver from a different manufacturer, especially Ford, yeah, um, Blaine is the only guy I really, I really honestly trust right now. Okay. Um, nice. So the third on my list for outrights, um, this guy well, third on my list, but he would be second as far as outrights are going currently, is going to be William Byron. Okay. Um, I got him in plus 1600. He's now to plus 12. Mm-hmm. Um, but Byron, man, I guess actually if you want to make an argument for someone who really changed my view on him last week, it was probably Byron. Okay. Uh, Byron and Bowen, for that matter. I was avoiding them last week because I really just thought they were going to be pressing too much. They were on the cut line for the playoffs. A lot of people were picking them as there's no way they're going to make the playoffs or yeah. make the next round. Um but, man, they drove their asses off last week. Yeah, um, they, and they
1: really weren't in it until the very end. Like, you were kind of right for probably 70% of the race. And right. then, like, they really made their charge late, like you said.
0: Right. Um, but, yeah, over the last seven races at this mile-and-a-half intermediate track, William Byron has the third-best driver rating behind only Larson and Kyle Busch. mm mm-hmm. um, but that's really all he has going for him because over the, I mean, his stats over the last you know month have not been great. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I mean, he is eighth best over the last six races and sixth best over the last fifteen. Um, but yeah, um, his average finish at Vegas, he does even make my top fifteen here that I listed
1: out. Yeah. Um, so I will say he is plus thirteen hundred, like you said. Um, is there because I'm seeing his teammate, a guy that you also just big up, uh, Alex Bowman, at twenty to one. He's my next bet. Oh, okay. I was gonna say, like, is what's the discrepancy there? Okay, yeah. Keep yeah. going.
0: No, he's my next bet as well. I'm, I'm, I'm in on both of them. I'm in on. I'm in on Hendrick this week. I okay. Mean, to be to, yeah. be to be completely like, I mean, if if Hendrick comes out and completely misses this yeah. setup,
1: come on, Kyle, this you gonna look really bad. Kyle, Kyle <laughs> you Kyle, you've got the championship like locked up. Just just push your team into victory one time. That's all we ask. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can. I mean, I can go ahead and
0: on and touch on both of them at the same time now that we've. we've yeah, uh, I didn't mean to step
1: on your toes there. I was just <laughs> I, I would just recognize that like. There was one or two drivers in the playoffs that are in the 20s, and Bowman fits your, your hedge of lean this week. So. Right.
0: so here's my case for Byron, at least. Yeah. Um, if you look at the tracks, so my stat that I keep saying here were the last six races at mile-and-a-half intermediates. That counts your high-tire-weight intermediates as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at just the low-tire intermediates, William Byron actually has a faster speed ranking than Kyle Larson this year. Wow, okay. His speed ranking is 3.75, Larson's at 4.25. Um, Denny Hamlin was right behind that at 4.75. Yeah. Um, so Byron is has been fast. We've seen that all year. I mean, up until the last month, Byron was absolutely dominating at in every st- st- statistical category. Yeah. Um, and then last week he showed that when the pressure's on, he can put the pedal in the metal. He can, he can really grind it out. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I really think that like, and I kind of touched on it earlier, I don't see Byron as a as a clear favorite going to Talladega or the Roval either. Yeah. So this is a big opportunity for him to just go ahead and cement himself in the next round. 100 um, percent whereas I can make that argument like Chase. I mean he's gonna be plus two hundred. Oh at the road course at, Ro- yeah. at Roval. Jeez, and Jeez. Blaney's probably gonna be <clears throat> right up there as well. I mean I mean super speed odds are a little different, but I would I would think Blaine's probably gonna be like a plus eight hundred, oh, plus one thousand at, at Dega. Oh yeah. yeah,
1: he loves he loves oh, yes.
0: Yeah. Um so yeah, Byron's my first one here where it's like I think this is a spot where not only are we getting some value on the pick. Mm-hmm. But it would also be lo- really fun to see a young guy like William Byron win this race, yeah. cement himself in the next round, and kind of put him up in the names
1: of uh, of a guy really competing for a championship here. And obviously it would make Hendrick very happy as well. Definitely. Um, is there any credence to the fact that because Larson is, I mean for all intents and purposes, he's making the final eight, is there any credence to the fact that Hendrick might try to prop up their bottom two drivers in this round to kind of... Because obviously they want as many drivers as possible. Is that like a thing that happens in NASCAR, or it's just I it's, don't really understand the team team dynamics? Maybe um. I mean
0: it's it's more it's more common in Formula One racing than it is in NASCAR. Okay. Um, Formula One you're going to get team orders. will be like, hey, let him buy you. He's faster. Right. It's not as common in NASCAR. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Um, there have definitely been times, especially in playoff races, yeah. where um, <laughs> you know you may get you may have a team come over the line and say, hey, you know you got so and so coming up on you. Just Don't give them. Don't give them hell, like right. you know, like right. And um, how about the
1: packages? Now, <clears throat> do the packages differ from from like team to team, or is it pretty much one specific like chassis and an engine that um, that goes into each Hendrick car?
0: That's or is that that's something kind of widely debated? Okay, um, gotcha. If you, I mean, if you listen to any podcast with when they bring in people from like crew chiefs and stuff like that, they'll tell you, oh, every you know, even though we all work at the same shop, every car is different. Yeah. I don't know how much I buy it. But, I mean, you can see it from, from some teams. Like, I yeah. mean, Harvick, for example. I mean, he's a hell of a driver, but he is by far the best Stuart Haas, and he's yeah. been that way for a few years. 100%. Um, You know, Hendrick. I mean, I think Kyle Larson's kind of somewhere where he just drives the hell out of his car. But right. you And know, I guess
1: the bigger teams, they have more resources so they can, like, they can go, especially in the playoffs, like, they're just going to pour money into these cars anyway. Like, right. it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really, like, it doesn't make sense with their budget to, like, I guess pull a car back that they could just easily send out. Right. The exact same. Okay. Right. Yeah. That's something um, I never really grasped. Was the, like the team dynamics and kind of like you know you know there's a hierarchy within teams, but you don't really know how the setups uh, work in, in accordance to that or in accordance to what teams might need, um, especially in, like the playoffs when they're calculating all these um, like advanced scenarios. Yeah exactly. That. yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: So yeah. Um, so kind of same thing with with Bowman. Um, well, actually, let me finish up on Barton first before yep. I get ahead of myself. Um, so I already mentioned the speed at the mile and a half intermediates at Las Vegas alone. Um, his driver rating is third behind Larson and Bush at one hundred six point five. Mm-hmm. His average fastest laps is second behind only Kyle Larson, and then his average finish is third behind only Bush and Larson. So I mean, just in every statistical category, he's right there. Mm-hmm. Um, he has never won here, but I think this is, could be a breakthrough for him. Now Bowman. Um, the stats aren't as good, but they're equally as impressive. Um, as far as just at mile-and-a-half intermediates, he is 5th best. Um, driver rating at Vegas, he is 6th best. Um, yeah, it's pretty much all I have from a statistical side of things here. Right. But another field thing. I went back and watched those last few days of <coughs> the race I was telling you about. Yeah. He was there both times. And if it wasn't for a um a late pit stop he had to make in the spring race last year, yeah. he was in contention to if not win, be at least top three. Yeah. Um so plus two thousand makes zero sense to me. Like I said, this is where I would list Lagana. This is not where I would list Alex Bowman. Yeah. Alex Bowman definitely has been the, you know, least performing Hendrick car. Mm-hmm. Um but Bowman's done this before in the past. I mean, you've seen it just in the bets that I made this year. It feels like every time Bowman wins is when I'm not. <laughs> It kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. So we're gonna to try to beat to the punch here. Okay. I I want to see I want to see Bowman. You know, just kind of like you said, like a guy that you know he may, he may be in the lesser performing car, but if he can get a victory here and all of a sudden the fourth hundred car is now an automatic
1: qualifier. That's huge. Man. That's oh yeah. Yeah yeah. I get you. And I actually just gritted out because you had you mentioned earlier you're gonna talk about you're gonna talk about Larson's dominance at Vegas. Mm-hmm. I was gonna bring up even at their current prices I've got Chase at 8 I've got Byron at 12 Blaney at 13 and Bowman at 20 you can make a card of those four guys for less money than it would take to bet Larson once if we're talking like a uniform payout in terms of like um, like how I like to structure bets where if a guy wins like any of my outrights win I win about the same amount right. you know what I mean like right. like it, on a hundred dollars scale, like if I bet a guy ten to one and a guy at twenty to one, I put ten dollars on the on the guy at ten right. and five dollars on the guy at twenty, yeah. so they both pay out hundred. Do you understand? Correct. Yeah, so, yeah. so um, my, my
0: card is kind of um, built the same way. Yeah. Um. So I'll touch on the last guy here, and then yeah. I'll, I, cause I kind of, I'm kind of going long. Oh, so you got a five pack. Going long oh. on my segment here. No, you're um, good. Man. You're good. So yeah, I got one more, but this is more of a long shot. This is a guy who is not currently in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It's rare for him to win, but this is his style of track, and it's awesome, Dylan. Um, okay. fifty to one. Interesting. It's um, not who I expect you to say. Really? Who would well, you expect? I just out of so curiosity. I
1: expected to say the other RCR car. Reddick
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of and I told you that early in the week. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's uh, the more I thought about it was um, but like I, so I mentioned the spring twenty nineteen race. Mm-hmm. Austin Dillon's fourth year. Yeah. Um, levels have just always been um, Dillon's kind of preferred track. He's always
1: really good at it. His biggest one um, is on Tribal. Yeah. Daytona. Right?
0: Yeah. Well, and, no. you're well, 600. Coco, 600.
1: Oh, wait. But it was is a tribal. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. But Daytona De- has a tribal. It's just not a tribal. Or is yeah. that Talladega? <laughs> Isn't tribal like a, a term on one of those two tracks? Yes. But Te- it's not the same thing.
0: <laughs> it technically is, but to me, a tribal is your is your mile and a half.
1: Okay, it's just not a super speed one. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I got you. Yeah, um, they need to come with a new term for <laughs> tribal because I, I just embarrassed myself there. No, no, you're good.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Dylan, um, his, he has a top ten um, success rate with the 550 horsepower package this year. Yeah. So with that paired with the trial of the success, um, and then even Michigan, the most recent trial level, um, I don't have what he finished. I don't know why I didn't write that down. But Dylan was was right there all day long, and that was the most recent track that we were at. Um, that's kind of similar to Vegas. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, it's 50, 50, 50, fifty to one. 50. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And
1: so. I, I've just entered it in, um, basically to win. To win 100 dollars on a Larson bet, you have to bet about $35. Right. You could bet for $30, $35 and 50 cents, you could bet Elliott, Byron, Bowman, Blaney, and Dylan. Right. And I think that's a better allocation of funds. Right.
0: So how I have mine structured currently, for mm-hmm. my outrights at least. Yeah. I have uh four units on Chase. Yep. Um, one and a half on Blaney. No, sorry. Two and a half on Blaney. Yep. Two and a half on Byron. Yep. Two on Bowman and
1: one one or a half of a unit on Dylan, however you want to treat it okay um is it a, i mean it, is it a one unit or is it a half unit bet mine mine's a one unit bet okay it could be because it, it does pay out about the same no matter right okay right. Yeah. You, you do the same structure with uniform payouts basically right.
0: okay right. so if i'm not mistaken i think so i said for what four two two four two eight
1: two <laughs> i think it came out to be 11 units is what it came out to be okay to win 50 if i'm guessing correctly um yes okay to win yes. at roughly 50 Right. So you basically have a five. Well, million. if
0: Chase wins, you'd win 30, 32 units. Okay. Gotcha. But, so it's variant, but but yeah, anyway. pretty much everyone's going to be at that that thirty to fifty range. Also, so you get
1: you get a big return of your initial investment back on Chase because you bet more to bet them. Right. So right. Yeah. Okay.
0: So here's where I kind of have two different strategies here for you, and I'll hit these quick so I can finish up the segment because I feel like I've have a lot going here. Ah <laughs> no. Um. So Good discussion. You can either take these next one, two, three, four, five bets. Bet them all at one to two units a piece. And that's your card? And that's my card?
1: Yeah.
0: Or put the money where your mouth is. You put the remaining nine units on Larson.
1: And really just hammer down.
0: Just hammer Hendrick, and you hope that, you know, if Larson wins, you're basically paying for (laughs) your other outrights. Okay. So you're not really getting a lot of, it's not really a. You're not going to win a lot of money in the back end, but you're covering all the other outrights. Right.
1: If you really believe the, like, you'd hate to, like, be this exposed to Hendrick and then a the Hendrick car win, yeah. and then you, you are washed out. Right. Basically. Okay.
0: Now, that's not as fun to talk about. So, <laughs> I do have a few more bets here, so, and I'll hit them. I'll just do some quick hitters. What but, are you doing, first off? Are you betting Larson? I'm not. You're not? Okay. So, you're going to. I just don't think it's as fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as much as I love Larson, as much as I love to see him win, <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't see myself putting nine to 10 units on one, one driver. Guy. It's yeah. just too many for me. 100%. Um, I, I so, do the
1: same thing with golf every week like there's always a like that's that's all it that gets you like there's always a guy you love that you just can't bet right yeah
0: some other here quick hitters here so I got Butcher at top 20 mm-hmm. uh, at minus 125 he has an 11.3 average finish at high speed intermediates he was 14th at Vegas this year 8th at Kansas 8th at Charlotte yeah I mean you could almost bet him top 10 if you really wanted to yeah. but top 20 minus 125 I think that's a lock there mm-hmm. um, Alex Bowman I'm hitting him again here top 10 at minus 110
1: okay
0: um nice. Kind of surprising one here, but I got one for you, Stenhouse. Oh God. Top twenty minus one ten. <laughs> is there a uh, is there a bottom five finish for Stenhouse? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> now, so yeah, so he hasn't been great over the last um, few months here, but yes. over the last seven races at Las Vegas, his average finish is fifteenth. Okay. So. And
1: what was the profit again? I'm sorry. Top Top, 110, 20. top twenty. Okay, minus one ten. Yeah. His
0: average finish is fifteenth of the last seven. You said right. Okay. Um, I've got, Matty D top ten plus one sixty. Hey, go back to the well. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could have take him as an outright
1: sixty-six to one. But come on now, second in the last two Vegas races. Let's Do it. Let's do it. I'm, I'm all, I'm all on board. This is, yeah, and I agree with you. This is more fun than the than the Larson outright because it gives you more to pay attention to. It gives you more to pay attention to, but also you have a higher ceiling because if if you ha- if you and it gives you more outs. So like if Larson does win, you can still hit your props. Right. Whereas like if you bet Larson instead of the props you really are only have one out to win money and that's to hit your outright. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: I like this strategy a lot better. Um, and then I really only had one head-to-head that I like this week so that's why I have so many top 20 top twenty, and top 10 bets there. Yeah. Um, but the head-to-head I am hammering is Byron over Lugano.
1: Okay, yep, you, you you mentioned that kind of uh, Hammering in it. the outright. Part. I mean,
0: you could even put, if you don't like any of those top 20, like, I mean, you said the Stenhouse one, you kind of shrugged that. So if you don't <laughs> want to take a Stenhouse one, throw those units at the Byron Logano. I mean, nah, throw extra units there.
1: I have no opinion. I just, <laughs> <no>, I'm <mean, laughs> No, I know, I know. Yeah. So, yeah I'm not so the yeah, expert.
0: That'll wrap up my, my NASCAR segment there. But yeah. Um, So, yeah, just to kind of recap, I'm going with four units for Chase, two for Blaney, two for Byron. Two for Bowman, one for Dylan, and then one for Busher top twenty. Yep. Bowman one ten um at top ten. Yep. Um one on Stenhouse top twenty, one on Maddie D top ten, and then one to two on Byron Overlook on it head to head. Yeah.
1: And we'll have all obviously our official cards yeah. posted yeah. on at Flag Hunting if you um if you ever need to reference or um and we'll kinda have our total investment of the week and then we'll we'll do a little recap kind of the, the morning after and we'll we also have our, our units tracked. Uh, if you if you do go to at flag underscore hunting, all lowercase, um, through one week, I'm minus ten and a half units, uh, Chris is minus fifteen. So not the best week, but hey, it's still early, one outright hit, and, and we're right back in the green. So. And I
0: will make one other note before we move on. I had mentioned earlier that I had gotten these guys at higher prices than others, or better Correct. prices than others. Correct. Um, me and Ian had a little discussion about this before we started. If we see bets like this that we want to hand before we get into the podcast, because we don't want to... we I... I Went back and forth on do I want to post it or do I want to save the surprise for the podcast and they bit me in the butt because these guys their prices rose. Right. So in the future uh, be on the lookout for early values. Stuff that comes out Monday, Tuesday morning that we're like hey we need to hit this now. 100%. We will throw those out and it'll be a little spoiler for the podcast but more fun and longer than if we hit.
1: At the end of the day we do it for the people. You know we want you guys to hit winners with us and we want you to hit winners at as high numbers as possible you know like um, like I said margins, margins can be thin over the course of a season so if you have a chance to get it to somebody at 15 that you think should be a 10 or, or lower, then absolutely uh, we're willing to kind of spoil a bit of the bit of the content we're going to provide later in the week uh, to help get you guys those numbers. So absolutely, I agree with Chris on that. Uh, turn notifications on, not only for maybe last making adjustments throughout the week, but like Chris said early in the week when the books first dropped these odds, that's the that's the optimal time to strike in my opinion. When, when you have a guy that you're leaning towards, you got to strike it and you got to get that best number because you best believe that there's other people like us that, <clears throat> that are seeing the same things and, and I'm sure um, they'll be hammering those those number two. That's part of the reason I'm sure why, <clears throat> why a lot of those numbers fell is is they're sharp bets. They've taken the books have taken action on them and they they've got no choice but to lower those numbers. So
0: and, and and something that I haven't had a lot exposure to, but this year we don't have practice or qualifying. Mm-hmm. Next year that's a different story. Next year we will have that, so we're going to be definitely having to hit in those before practice and qualifying comes around because then things shift dramatically.
1: I love so. it. I love already teasing the offseason podcast. <laughs> we're doing we're doing the the. NASCAR betting 1v101 uh, with Chris Clicio, uh next year in 2022. So if uh, Chris is wrapped up with the NASCAR, I'm gonna go ahead and segue into one of my favorite events on the sports calendar, the Ryder Cup 2021 Ryder Cup here from Whistling Straits. Um, yeah, it, it's one of the kind of the most special weeks in golf, in my opinion. Like obviously, like the majors are something different, especially Masters Sunday. First tee on Thursday morning. That's one of the most uh, one of the most special events we have in this sport. But I think the first tee of the Rider Cup, it, it's it's really just a unique experience because um, not only are you playing for something above yourself, you're playing for your country, you're playing for teammates, um, but it's a different format and it's it's just a different viewing experience for for those of us uh, that do watch golf every week. And um, it's it's there's just a lot of different elements within the Rider Cup that I think can not only not only appeal to you know golf um kind of fanatics on myself but also like a neutral audience it's one of the few events where where fans really get involved it's you know it's one of the few instances in golf where you have true like advantages home course advantages you know like uh we'll get the stats about the usa struggles uh, across the across the pond and and similar to uh the european struggles here stateside um but yeah you're gonna see a lot of passion it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a spectacle here at Whistling Street. so I'm I'm more than excited. Let, let's kind of go into maybe like a little histo- like a history lesson on the Ryder Cup for for those of y'all that maybe not follow golf as much and um, are interested observers maybe this week, but but don't really know kind of the format or what's going on. So the Ryder Cup is a biennial biennial men's golf competition, uh, as in it happens every two years between uh, the best twelve golfers from Europe and the best twelve golfers from the United States. They alternate venues between the two continents, so. Uh, in 2018, the last time we played the Ryder Cup was in Paris, Le Golf National. This year it's going to be uh, here in the United States, in uh, Wisconsin, um, and then obviously next time we'll just um, we will rotate and so on and so forth. So the last event, like I mentioned, was in 2018, uh, Le Golf National outside of Paris, won by the Europeans, 17 and a half to 10 and uh, That's an absolutely slacking. They they took us to the woodshed, um, and yeah, Europe have won. Um, yeah. We have won seven of the last Ryder Cups since the turn of the century. So this has been, this has really been like a European dominated event. And it's part of the reason why the Ryder Cup is so intriguing, particularly this year, because um, Europe has been that dominant in the past. And this is kind of a transitional year for the USA with a lot of the team members we went into, a ton of rookies, a ton of guys that maybe grew up watching the Ryder Cup and watched some of their heroes, their American heroes, like get absolutely blitzed by, by, you know, European dominance. Seven of the last nine is ridiculous. Um, like I said, uh, the 2018 win marks six losses in a row the U.S. had on, U- on European soil. We haven't won in Europe, uh, we haven't won the Ryder Cup in Europe uh, since 1993. Um, and yeah, just all in all, it, it's kind of the same story every year. The, the Americans come in, they're the favorites, they've got, I mean, we're the best golfing nation in the world. We tend to win the most majors uh, year in, year out, you know, it's very rare you go through a major season where at least two Americans aren't, aren't taking up the biggest trophies in the, in the golf and you, you look at the Olympic team, like the American golf Olympic team is one of the hardest teams to get onto in all of sports, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, we, we left superstars like Dustin Johnson and Patrick Cantley and, um, you know, Bryson obviously had to withdraw for other reasons, but I mean, like world-class, like superstars of the game that would be number one or number two, like shoe-ins in any other country, um, didn't make it on the U.S. Olympic team, you know, so we are, we are the, I mean, we're not the birthplace of golf, but as of right now, I don't think anyone argued, this is like kind of when it comes to talent, um, the USA kind of dominates in that in that respect. So, yeah. So, like I said, Europe has dominated seven of the last nine. I think overall they are 11, 8, and 1 since if it came Team Europe versus Team USA. Formerly it was Team uh, Great Britain, Ireland versus Team USA. That was more of an American-dominated um, kind of event. But as it shifted to Europe, as, as Europe, or as I guess the Rock Club included the rest of continental Europe into the event, uh, they've really really taken a stronghold on this tournament so um, so yeah I mentioned about the European dominance across the pond but here stateside the Americans have had a lot have had a lot better success uh, we've taken two of the last three uh, 2016 and Hazeltine. Um we won I think 16 and a half to 11 and a half and in 2008 in Valhalla we won 17 to 10 so two pretty lopsided wins we're also on our way to a pretty convincing win at Medina in 2012 uh, which would have made it three in a row there we're up ten. Uh, the Americans were up ten to six on the final day, heading to Sunday singles, which four points in, in a twenty-eight point event is is a pretty big margin. Um, before the Europeans mounted what is now tied for the biggest comeback in Ryder Cup history, they took eight and a half of the twelve Ville points on Sunday to win fourteen and a half to thirteen and a half. It's known in it's known now as the miracle at Medina. I'm sure it'll be brought up if you watch the the broadcast, especially if the USA get off to a little bit of a lead. That that's always kind of the back of you know american minds that was probably one of the uh one of the biggest kind of i guess darkest days if if, if sports can have a dark day um mm-hmm. in kind of usa golf that was a that was a really big embarrassment to to let europe come back like that against a superior team we you, know, you go into sunday you're at medina you're in your state side you've got the home crowd you're you're just playing the party already you know like you're up 10 to 6 all you need is four and a half of the 12 available points and europe just just blows the slate up, absolutely wipes the floor with our with our entire team. So, um, so yeah. So that's that's kind of a little rundown of the history of the Ryder Cup. And uh, like I said, I, I think this year, um, what makes it so intriguing is the fact that there are so many new faces. Kind of the old, the old, the older generation of um, like your old
0: guard of Phil Mickelson, and Tiger Woods, and all of them. Yeah,
1: Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, um, Jim Furyk, who was the was the captain last year. Um, you, don't, you don't really see a lot of the remnants, like Dustin Johnson is the oldest person guy on the team. He's 36, 37. And in golf years, that's not all that old. Right. Um, so, yeah, you've got a lot of guys that I think are looking to issue in a new era in, in USA Ryder Cup golf. And if they can if they can win this stateside, I think we go into a lot, we, we bring a lot of confidence in the next Ryder Cup in Europe and really kind of break this curse once and for all because... I mean, let's be honest, Europe's eaten our lunch for, for the last, you know, 20 plus years. So, and not only that, but I've talked, about, I've talked a lot about the American side. On the European side, it's actually kind of the opposite. It's kind of like their last ride. So, we'll get into a lot of the team members, but a lot of the figureheads of this European dominant run, the Poulter's, the Westwood's, the Sergio's, the Rory's. Rory, obviously, is still an elite player, but those former three um, definitely been, have been absolutely thorns in the side of USA Ryder Cup um, success and... And especially for Poulter and Westwood, this is kind of... They're starting to fade from relevance as far as World Golf concerned. And I think this is kind of Padraig Harrington, the European captain, giving them one more kind of chance, you know. And, and it'll be very interesting to see kind of how they perform because we'll get to it later. But in terms of recent form, they seem like weak links here. But So I guess, and you mar- you're probably getting to this too, but
0: yeah, uh, I guess what is your what do you think is better for... There's a lot of debate for this in the U.S. and how they're going to select the team. Yep. So I guess go into, like, what is your take on how they select the team? And what is your impression of, did they do good or did they not?
1: Okay, so for the U.S., I, I think there's not really too many ways to come up wrong. Like, we'll get to it, but the U.S.A., there's a reason the U.S.A. is favored every year in the Ra- or every time in the Ryder Cup, because we are the deeper, more talented team. Like, we have more options, and I think the Europeans... Um, and they deserve a lot of credit for their team selection, their chemistry, and, and their user analytics. Like, it's basically like the closest thing I compare it to in, in my research. And what They're basically the moneyball Oklahoma A's, and we're the, we're the big bunch of Yankees of the, of the 90s 2000s, like, and 2000s. Chris is a Yankees <laughs> fan, so it, it gives Chris some added incentive maybe to pull for the USA as if he didn't need it already. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, the, Ur- the Europeans, they, they put their captains through. I mean, as far as like... To become a European captain, it's a much bigger honor. I feel like than maybe the American captains maybe be just uh, not really. A po- it's not like a popularity contest, but it's more like the last great player to to not do it. It's more like almost uh, not an obligation, but you're kind of okay. You're next in line. Like let's let's get you again. Like as the flag bearer of your country. Right, right, and it's an honor in America, but for Europe, they just put so much more um, preparation into it. Like you go through like training you get you have to work your way up the kind of the ladder you you're maybe a vice captain one time and then you you are given the range to the team so it's it's a really big deal to be the european Cup captain um more so than the u.s and there's just a general camaraderie there um with europe but i guess the point i was getting to was because they have such limited options there's not really too many like um big decisions they have to make i think the biggest um the biggest snub if you call him that on the European side, would be Justin Rose. Another kind of guy that has... He was the one that drained probably the biggest putt on that Madonna comeback in 2012. Was a world number one at one point in the kind of 2016-2017 era, um, if I remember correctly. But he was probably the biggest snub. But he wasn't really playing well enough to where... Like he was an auto pick. You know, I don't think it, it turned many heads. Um, maybe the Bert Reisberger auto selection burnt is, is a guy we'll get to later but he was a european tour guy um they end up qualifying enough points to kind of knock rose out so that's really like if if maybe they're starting from scratch uh with their team that's probably the only change they might make would be rose over beast but um but yeah i i don't think there was too much to nitpick about the, about the europeans The the usa obviously we'll get to it later but they're, they're coming with a lot more uncertainty i feel like as far as injuries as far as team chemistry as as i'm <laughs> sure you've heard about and the more the public's heard about than uh yeah, then, then well, noble. that's
0: I mean that's one of the biggest arguments, right? Yeah. Because you know, there's um, Mark Immelman on First Cut Podcast talking yeah. all the time about how the Europeans, when they're prepping for this, it's more than just another tournament for them. It's oh, yeah. not about the it's not about the prize. It's about the camaraderie of the oh, yeah. the nationalism of this. Oh, I there's mean, no question. in The last
1: twenty years, it's met more the Europeans.
0: Like, and they bunk up together for weeks to like prepare and get that like you know like you said the team chemistry 100%. whereas the americans like you know I meanwhile well, we've got brooks and bryson and we're all picking our sides and yeah, it, we're all chanting brooks see you in from bryson's yeah. teeing off i mean so you know from my you know there's a lot of people who make the argument that that's why europeans have been so dominant is because yeah, it's a good argument, they take sure. this so much more serious mm-hmm. um whereas the u.s always has the talent yeah um but you know Tom yeah. t- 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 know is overwhelmed i mean
1: yeah, hundred percent. No, it's it's shown out their history. Like, there's like, I mean, if, if we're just talking on paper, there's no reason though. You the Europeans should have won seven the last time. Like, no reason at all. Um, and when we when
0: we were talking about this a few weeks ago, yeah. when I when I first kind of got into this, I was like, that was a shock to me. I remember putting in the chat like, "Is this real?" And you were like, oh, yeah, it's very much real." Oh <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. No, the USA has gotten bent over. I mean, there's like, if you if you're if you're a kid that you know, a 20-, 30 year old kid that um, that grew up in the nineties two thousands and watched golf, Ryder Cup golf, like, you haven't seen much USA success, and, and that's that's kind of an angle I'm banking on, because a lot of these guys, I think, do care about the Ryder Cup, and they, they, they do feel the obligation to the country, maybe to all of them, as we'll get to get some wildcards cards later on, but um, I, I do feel like there is a bit more camaraderie this year with the USA team, and maybe I'm off base, but that's 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 kind of the angle I'm going with. Uh, as far as, I guess, strict, <laughs> I, I ramble it a lot, like I, like I tend to do if you guys haven't noticed yet, but Uh, As far as Stricker's, um, kind of team selection, I give him an A+. Um, the, the big, I guess the big eye-turner, or the, the biggest head-turner, would be, uh, leaving Reed off the team. Uh, there's speculation that, kind of, the, the upper, um, I guess, for lack of a better word, captains, like, the, the leaders on the USA team really didn't want that, the headache, or they just didn't feel like Reed, um, maybe belonged on this team, or they just didn't really want him on this team as, like, a personal thing, like, a politics thing, um, and although Reed has tremendous Ryder Cup record, and I think on paper like anyone, any American fan would be happy to have him. I think the the selection of, of guys that he made, uh, that Stricker made on this team for this course, I think is um, is absolutely around the money. I think most people that that, that follow golf uh, week to week and, and are involved in the stats and the analytics, I think they're they're really encouraged with the, with the selection the USA made, and <clears throat> maybe it's it's a, it's another sign that maybe they're turning the page and starting to kind of take this more seriously and maybe take a more European approach looking at the numbers and, and determining you know, this I mean a lot of these guys at the bottom end of this USA roster are kind of analytic darlings so and, and as opposed to maybe years past where maybe they took uh, guys that were maybe good for the locker room or, or guys that were referrals from, from mainstays on the team right so um, I think it's another reason to kind of be a little more optimistic with the USA team we'll move on now have probably talked enough about the U.S. getting their ass kicked for 20 years. <laughs> Let's talk about the course. So we are at Whistling Straits here in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, uh, the host site of three PGA championships in the last 20 years. It hosted the 2015 PGA, the 2010, and the 2004 PGA. Uh, this week it's playing as a 7,390-yard 7, par 71, as opposed to the major setup, which would have been a 7,500-yard 7, par 72. So they're taking away a par 5, putting a par 4 in, and they're taking shaving off 100 yards off the course Um, according to the official Ryder cup website, the only two modifications I could see that were made from the initial, from the traditional setup that they have at the PGA championship, for example, um, they have shortened up the first hole from, from 408 to 353. So that's not exactly a huge difference. I mean, you're still going to have, uh, like some short clubs in there. You probably actually, um, be more liable to lay up on a 353 yard par for um, as opposed to 408. And you might even see some, maybe some, some drivers. We'll talk about, um, more of the setup later on with how it's kind of favoring, um, good drivers, the golf ball, but yeah, so 50 yards straight off the first hole, not a huge deal I would not imagine. Uh, but the 11th hole is the big one. It goes from a 563 yard par five to a 511 yard par four. So it's basically, it it goes from one of the toughest golf or the, one of the easiest golf holes in the golf, on the golf course to one of the toughest. You're looking at like a, from a short par five to an extremely long par four. So I think that's that's kind of the overarching theme here at Whistling Straits this is the major championship golf course. It's a huge test. Um, you have to have an all-around game. You have to be long off the tee. I mean, you look at, like, the U.S. 7 courses we tend to play, the PGA championship courses, they, they are a similar theme of, like, the winners, they're big hitters with a short game. You know, the Brooks Kepkas, the DJs, the John Roms. Um, I mean, Phil, even though we – you know, he didn't really fit – the recent form profile, he is a long drive of the golf ball, and um, he does have a phenomenal short game. It was just a matter of Akiwa. How is he not going to spray the ball all over the place um, like Phil tends to do, but he, he found the fairway at that point. Um, so, yeah, I, I think this this course, uh, historically, the off the tee game has actually been more correlated to a success uh, than approach play, which is pretty rare on the PGA Tour. Typically, irons and putting are, are really what, what get it done at the end of the day, but off the tee was um, second to putting. In, in my model, and granted, this is a smaller sample size because we don't go to Whistling Straits very often. This is the first time any sanctioned event has been here, as far as a professional event has been here uh, since the 2015 PGA. Um, and yeah, so we're gonna kind of deep dive into uh, that course history and that that particular tournament uh, when we bring up course history. So every golfer um, except for Phil Mickelson that finished uh, in the top 20. So Mickelson finished T18, but every the other 19 golfers that finished in the top 20 uh, gained strokes off the tee. Um, Jason Day who did win the 2015 PGA led the field in both off the tee and on approach and he gained like six strokes putting so that's why he won by five this was like prime prime Jason Day um, when he was the best in the world bar none he won his first major um, one of the one of the few guys other than maybe John Rahm in recent history to win his first major at as the favorite you know it, it's very rare that books list um, a guy that hasn't won yet as a favorite but with Jason Day's recent war similar to John Rahm he was kind of um, he was he was the guy, despite the fact he hadn't got it done yet at a major championship. So, um, so yeah, off the tee, extremely important. Like I said, 19 of the 20 um, top golfers at the 2015 PGA gained on gain off the tee, and um, in terms of like a well-rounded game, like I mentioned earlier, um, 19 of the 20 golfers managed to gain um, at least one stroke and at least three of the four categories. So, when we're talking about strokes gain categories in golf, off the tee, on approach, around the greens, and then putting. So. Of the the top 20, 19 of those gained at least one stroke. So they were one stroke above an average um, on three of those four metrics. So what I'm saying is you have to have an all-around game. You can't just rely on... You can't have an obvious deficiency, in my opinion, um, in order to succeed here. You have to have that all-around game um, and play extremely well around a tough golf course. So uh, finally, I'll get to notable finishes. So guys that are present in this field or in this event... That, uh, that were in the PGA Championship field. So Jordan Spieth, we'll start with the Americans. Jordan Spieth was uh, runner-up to Jason Day in 2015. Brooks Kepka finished fifth, and this was before Brooks Kepka was really uh, a household name. He won his first major in 2017. This was two years before. Uh, Dustin Johnson has a seventh-place finish at Wilson Straits in 2015. Obviously, he also has a very infamous, I think, fourth-place finish where he grounded his club on the 18th hole uh, in a waste wastebonger, cost him a two-stroke penalty, and missed out on a playoff with mm-hmm. Kymer and Watson. And if, you, if you're familiar with the history of major championships, you, you know this is kind of one of the first of DJ's many heartbreaks at majors um, and kind of what could have been in his career um, in terms of kind of his his final trophy count. And obviously he's still young enough to win more, but that'll always kind of be part of his legacy is when he first came on the scene, he was so talented and just just things didn't go his way. Like he just constantly just felt like things were going against him. And this is one of the first instances where you really feel like he, he left one out there because against – I mean – all respect to Bubba Watson and Martin Keimer, but um, I think DJ was going into that Sunday was definitely the favorite to, to take that down. So, uh, But DJ, great course history here. Seventh place in 2015. Um, obviously a great performance in 2010 as well. Tony Finau, uh his kind of breakout tournament was in 2015 at Whistler Strait. So he finished 10th, and then JT uh, finished 18th. Both of those guys, again, not really quite the players they are now. So this is kind of like the first time we're like, oh, okay, these guys are, are kind of the real deal. You know, young kids that come out and play a tough golf course with the Straits and, and put up a good performance for the on the euro side uh rory finished 17th in this event um, obviously this is probably i mean this is still kind of towards the end of rory's really peak years i would say like the early 2010s where really rory was like consensus one of the best players in the world he still is now but he doesn't have the same aura i feel like that he had back then um, hatton uh, tyrrell hatton 25th again another guy like jt and Finau. Um, maybe, and Kepka as well, kind of before he really came on, he really didn't come on as like a household elite player um, until probably like 2019, 2020, when he started to really storm the European tour and then won at Bay Hill here in the PGA. But he spent his 25th, Paul Casey 30th, and then Poulter actually missed the cut uh, in 2015. And it's, he's kind of the opposite. He was kind of maybe, uh, he's definitely a higher profile player back in 2015. He's definitely lost a bit of his relevance in world golf. Um, but he missed the cut lost five strokes gained putting which is crucial for Poulter because that's that's one of his biggest weapons, especially in match play um, if, if the putters not working for Ian Poulter, then he's gonna really struggle because he just can't keep with these guys tee to green uh, with his lack of distance and just um, You know, he, he's just not the ball striker that a lot of these top guys are gonna be so if Poulter's gonna gonna continue his kind of um, reputation at the Ryder Cup of being that that uh, Iron man for Europe I should say uh, it's going to have to be with a flat stick and with a short game. So it was interesting to see that, that Poulter kind of during, maybe at a time where he was close to his peak, uh, he didn't have the best finish here at Westland Straits. So, uh, yeah, with that, um, I don't know if there's anything you you want to kind of ask. I know I just went through a lot of it. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of the history, the course, the uh notable finishes, the history. Um, oh, I, I guess we'll talk about the setup or the, yeah. uh, the format. I was going
0: to say, yeah, yeah. So I would, I'm curious to know, like, and – I'll share a lot of people who are not familiar with the Ryder Cup are interested as well. Right. What's, the, what's the format of this week? Because it's not just, hey, everyone's going to go out there and play four rounds. It's a little different. And then absolutely. also, um, you know, I think you kind of touched on some of the guys and maybe list out, I think you've got this already prepared, but kind of who those teams are and right. what those potential matchups could look like. And then, you know, how do we How do we bet on this to kind of wrap it yeah, up? Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. <laughs> what they
1: What they really want, what they're, what they're currently <laughs> skipping through to try to find yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so absolutely. So the Ryder Cup... Uh, like I said, not going to be. This is one of the few tournaments that you'll ever turn on that has golf. That you uh, are not playing stroke play. You're playing match play all three days. Uh, there's 28 points up for grabs. Uh, eight will be available on Thursday or on Friday. Eight will be available on Saturday, and then 12 will be available on, available on Sunday. Um, it is worthy to note that Europe is the our uh, defending champions, the cup holders, as it's called, and so for them to actually retain the Ryder Cup. They only need to split the 28 points. So if they win, if it draws right 14, down the middle, 14-14, Europe is still uh, technically the Ryder Cup champion. Um, whereas the USA needs to win a majority of the 28, so 14 and a half or more, um, to to lift the Ryder Cup this year. Um, we'll go into kind of the day by day. So on the first two days, we are playing uh, pairs. So pair golf, pair match play. And there are two different formats. So, the... Ho- and you're
0: saying pairs is in, like, 1v1, right? Not 2v2? Uh,
1: actually, opposite. So, 2v2. Oh, it is 2v2. 2v2. In, yeah, yeah. So, players are paired on the first two days, and they play two different formats of match play golf. So, number one, and the host country, or the host team gets to pick the order at which they go out. So, there'll be four, what we call full, four ball matches, and there'll be four four-some matches. And there, they'll be in whatever order the host uh, country wants to choose. So, um... The four ball would be what's, I guess, better known as best ball if you're if you're a golfer and, and you fall golf. So best ball would be uh, if it's 2v2, two two, everyone in the foursome plays their own ball. And then if you and me are on team and I make par and you make birdie, you score birdie for the team, and then the other team has to either tie or beat that in order to win the hole. Um, and so this kind of favors more birdie makers because – uh, with two players of this caliber, it's very rare for them both to make bogey. Like you're not gonna win a foursomes match or a four-ball match with uh, with pars. Like you're not gonna go out here, um, you're not gonna be able to go out here and make 18 pars in a four-ball match and expect to do well. Like, you have to go out there and make birdies. You have to be out, go out there and be aggressive. Um, and so this is kind of more of the individual base. Like this maybe I wouldn't say like it just requires a little bit less teamwork because. At the end of the day, you're still playing your own ball. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't really have to still work together. Scorer, exactly. Think, yeah. You don't really have to work together too much. Um, and so, yeah, like I said, it, it favors it definitely favors guys that make a lot of birdies, and maybe um like a guy like Jordan Spieth comes to mind, for example. Like a guy that can string together birdies, but maybe is a bit erratic and can make some bogeys, some ugly bogeys from time to time. But because he has a teammate to maybe back him up and make the par when he when he gets into trouble, uh, it saves him from a lot of kind of maybe the the problems you would have in the stroke play event where if you make a bogey you lose strokes the entire field you know, right. you don't have that kind of backup so that's the first one that's called four ball or best ball uh the other format is going to be called foursomes or alternating shot and this format it is still 2v2 but there's only one ball per team so basically if you and me were playing as a team chris we would decide who tees off in the odd holes who tees off in the even holes and if i'm teeing off on the on holes and one for, um, oh,
0: so you do have to flip that like so you can't just say one person's going to drive the entire time no 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 you have to alternate you uh, have to your do. tee shots yes okay
1: okay um, which yeah we'll play into we'll play into some of the advantage later on um, but yeah so if i was driving on the first hole and hit the drive hopefully hit the fairway you would hit onto the green i would putt and we'd alternate shots until we're in the hole and then obviously we'll compare it to the other team match play <clears throat> the good thing another thing with match play is um, you, you really can only take a one-shot lead per hole. It's not like like if if, if we make birdie and the, our opponents make bogey, it's still only a one-up lead. Right. It's not a two-up lead. So, again, it kind of favors guys that might have the higher upside and not be as steady. Obviously, you don't want to go out there and make double bogeys because you're not winning holes with those. But um, you, you can afford to to screw up a hole because you're only one down. Or take a chance and exactly. go for it. Exactly, especially when it gets late in the match and you need, you need a point or two. So those are the two kind of um, – the two formats for, for Friday and Saturday. Again, there'll be four matches of each um, each format in those days. And it's important to note that... So, in the morning, there are two sessions in on Friday and Saturday. So, there's the morning session and the afternoon session. There's only four matches in each. So, you can actually... You will... And you will definitely see some of the top players on each team play doubles. So, they'll put... Like, a guy like Rom, who is the, the European like leader, uh, the best player in the world right now. He will... Almost certainly go out at least one of the days and play in the morning in the foursomes, and then play in the afternoon in the four ball. And then, like a guy like Rory is, is very well documented, and so that's something to keep in mind as maybe as uh, the weekend goes along, if you want to fade or or um, or buy um, and pick on maybe some guys in matchups. If a guy has played four matches, like the history tends to be pretty bad as the week goes on, because these are very taxing matches. You know, like not only emotionally but physically, walking thirty-six holes day after day. Um, and so I think it's. It's really important, and that's where kind of the U.S. depth comes in because they might be able to give some of the guys a blow, Whereas the Europeans because they lack a little bit of depth. They might not be able to afford that. And I think as the, as the tournament goes on, that could wear on them. If, if they let their contracts slip just a little bit at, at this level, you could, um, you could see kind of the effects of that on Sunday. And then, yeah, so Sunday is the Sunday Singles. Uh, that would be 12 points up for grabs, 1v1. If you are a member of either Ryder Cup team, there's nowhere to hide. You are playing a Sunday Singles match. They can hide. Um, Europe can hide their worst player, or who they deem to be the worst player. USA can hide who they deem to be the worst player. But on Sunday, everyone comes out. It's twelve straight matches, <clears throat> all all day long, basically. How do they pair those up? <clears throat> so those are <clears throat> those are basically. So it's almost like a lineup card in baseball. You you. So if, if I'm the USA captain, you're the European captain. We go in private, choose who we want in the one hole, who do one as a two, the three, the so one, and the anchor, and then. Uh, at the start at the Saturday night or Sunday morning I forget when it comes out but they'll basically just publicly display their lineups and then whoever just happens to get paired so if like I'm USA's 9 and you're Europe's 9 we're paired together so it's 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 not really uh, so, and
0: there's probably a strategy to that too because it's probably not like you just want to list them out 1 through 9 best to worst
1: oh 100% yeah because you, you might you, want
0: you might want, want one of your top guys to lead lead end at the anchor yeah or just from a like maybe to throw them off you just like I'll, maybe maybe you try to predict how they're gonna list their guys, and you say, all right, who's gonna pair with that? There's a lot of cat and mouse. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of cat and mouse. And, That's interesting. Okay. Yeah,
1: and it's it's kind of tough because you can kind of get screwed. Like, well, I wouldn't say screwed, but like it, it it lessens a little bit of the strategy because you don't know how they're playing. Like, if for example, like if um, Steve Sugar knew that Ron was going first, he could he could put his worst player there and let like if he was if he was really confident like if rom was like really on form or, like you you're like this guy there's no stopping this guy right now you could put our quote-unquote worst player there um and sometimes like there will be like i remember in 2016 at hazel team like reed and roar were pretty public about wanting to go together and so the captains put them both at the top of the list and they played together so sometimes there can kind of be some um some in inner chat between the teams and be like hey we'll put these guys together but um, as far I'm as I'm
0: sure the TV network doesn't say about that too but. right right and as far as
1: the <laughs> format goes like it, it is as random as it probably can be right um, so yeah that's that's kind of the format uh, I probably talked way too much about uh, stuff that doesn't matter when it comes to gambling but yeah we'll kind of get into kind of my key stats so like I mentioned Strokes getting off the T um, and driving distance would be my two key stats as far as like um, as far as off the tee, because I think that is the most important metric this week. Um, distance, because you have five par fours over four, over 500 yards. You have four, um, three par fives. You're gonna you're gonna need, need distance here. And early, um, kind of the early portions of the course are, are saying that the rough lengths are anywhere from two to four inches. Which, for like of course, like looks Straits, straights, like usually host major championships. That's like probably half of what they usually would be. So it looks like because. the, because the host, the host country does have say in how the course is set up, because that adds to their advantage. Um, so all the speculation right now is like, Stricker's hand, just, just get rid of the rough, as much rough as possible, so we can just bomb and gouge this place. So I'm, I'm waiting off the tee, I'm waiting driving distance as well. Uh, proximity from 200 yards, at the PGA Championship in 2015, um, it was one of the biggest discrepancies I've ever seen. Over 35% of approach shots came from over 200 plus yards, which is like double what tour average would be for like, a, like one out of every three – over one out of every three shots is, is from over 200 yards. So that's that's a big uh, weight for me. Uh, stroke chain around the green and stroke chain putting are also waiting this this week, especially in match play. I think short game is really important because when you are not just – you don't want to just give up holes and you don't you want to be able to save yourself, especially in a course like this. Like, guys are going are gonna to need a short game, I think. And uh, so I, I, I went in stroke chain around the greens and stroke chain putting bent grass. This is a bent grass course. Um, and so, yeah so those are kind of the key stats i'm looking at we'll move on finally (laughs) to the teams so these are the members of each team that are they're gonna be teeing it up this week you'll see each of them at least one time but i've kind of listed them into groups i've kind of tiered them uh so for team usa and team europe i've got three kind of categories i've listed them in as a plus touts guys that if this was a tournament i'd be all over them i'm i'm gonna be back in the matchups i'm gonna be back in some prop markets that we'll talk about later on um, lukewarm guys that I see have that have upside, but they have some question marks as well, and then outright fades. And these are guys that I um, don't believe with its recent form, course history, or just um, for whatever reason I'm just not not on board with them. So we'll start maybe at the top. I guess uh, we'll start with the poster boys of each team. So on Team Europe, uh, my A plus talents would be Rom, uh, Casey, and Hobland, And you'll you'll notice one guy is, is missing there. That's that's uh, maybe a bit of a surprise, but Rom clearly the best player in the world I think right now um does pretty much everything well that you need to do well here hits he's probably the best off the tee I mean as far as distance plus accuracy I think he's the best off the tee player it, there are players that have him as far as distance goes but as a combination of total driving Rom's the best driver of the golf ball he's the best long iron player in the world as far as I'm concerned great around the greens great putter um and so yeah I mean Rom's gonna be obviously he's gonna need to have a huge Cup for Europe to win um Paul Casey, I think, is a great fit for this course as well. T to green maven. Um, Struggles a bit with the putter, obviously, but I think he's a guy that that shows up on hard courses really well. Again, a good long iron player. Um, And a guy that, again, Europe's going to really, really need down the stretch um, here in Whistling Straits. Victor Hoblin, as well as my other A-plus top for Europe. Um, Yeah, I mean, the kid's just an absolute fiend. I mean, he's a phenom. Um, Just... Piers the ball off the tee. Again, another good long-iron player. The deficiency with Hovland is definitely the short game, particularly around the greens game, um, which I think could could definitely hinder him. And it's it's tough to really back a rookie because this is his first Ryder of cups. So you never know how they're going to respond. Uh, but but Victor, I mean, he's, he's an A-plus talent. He's a top-ten player in the world at age 23. So he would definitely be a guy that, if this was a strip play tournament, I'd I'd be all over Victor Hovland. As far as the USA goes, kind of, in my opinion, they're kind of poster boys. There's, there's a lot of top players for the USA, but I think the ones that fit the course of the best and have the best recent form. Patrick Cantley, um, the Founders Cup champion, he's been probably the best player in the, eh, I will not say the best player in the world, but he's definitely had the best results over the last month or two. Um, but yeah, he actually rates out uh, top 10 or top five off the tee. He rates out number one in strokes gain on bent grass putting um, or stroke gain putting on bent grass greens. Uh, he ranks out number five in strokes gain around the greens. So I just think he's got an all round game. He, he doesn't really have any weaknesses and he's not going to make many mistakes. Um, Bryson DeChambeau is my other A plus talent for the USA. Um, he's a guy that obviously dominates off the tee. You know, obviously, the best driver the golf ball we have on tour. As far as distance, he just has the ability to neuter some of these long par fours. He has the ability to drive um, probably several of these short par fours as well. Um, top one of the top iron players as far as uh, long irons go as well. So um, I think kind of what this course needs, Bryson um, kind of he, he suits everything this course asks of you. Uh, basically, and then Tony Finau is my other A plus tout <clears throat> winner at the Northern Trust that kind of got him into this event. Also, note he, uh, he led the field in strokes game putting at the BMW, or actually, he finished third in strokes game putting at the BNW Championship, which is on Bent Grass Greens. He's actually a really good putter on Bent, uh, loves these kind of long, tough courses. Uh, so, Finau's a guy I, I actually think is a really nice sleeper for the USA. And then we'll kind of like, we'll kind of, those are the poster boys of, of each team. I'll, I'll kind of make it short and quick uh, with my lukewarm takes. Uh, DJ is lukewarm only because the ball striking really hasn't been to DJ levels this year now as to note He has been an elite putter. He's actually second uh, in the world over the last six months uh, in terms of putting a stroke game putting so kind of uh it, The script kind of flipped for DJ because he Typically, you know last year he was the best ball striker in the world bar none this year He kind of comes out as uh, being carried a little by the putter but um, he just hasn't shown the ball striking form, I think, to, to really be like a top tier pick. But obviously DJ can, can come out and win any match against anybody on any given day. Um, I've got the two kind of question marks as well, Morikawa and Kepka. I think these will really be, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, swing boats on the USA team because they are coming in dealing with injuries. Both of them, Morikawa, since his crazy run, hot run over the summer, dealt with a back injury, come back to the Olympics, uh, struggled at the WGC at TBC Southwind in Memphis. Struggled in the FedEx Cup playoffs, and that's when the the rumblings of the back injury started to come out. He was trying to overcompensate a little bit with his swing, and uh, yeah, so he's he's definitely a question mark, and he's he's a guy where if he is healthy, like it gives the USA a huge boost because he he might have a argument to be the best player on this team um, if you know if he's playing the way he played from February to, to July, um, and then Brooks Kepka as well. Um, again, he finished uh, fifth here in 2015, but he's dealing with a wrist injury. He just uh, you know he hit he famously hit the root at the uh, at the Tour Championship at East Lake. So again okay, question marks on health there, but if they're if they're good to go they're superstars and and guys I expect to the USA to really lean on. Uh, Daniel Berger is a guy that's trending upwards for me as well as a lukewarm pick. He was another guy that um, I think is kind of really slept on in, in the golf world. A guy that is second in the field tee to green in the last 24 rounds and I mean with with the caliber of this field being second in in this field tee to green is um, is really impressive. Uh, and Berger's, again, a nice all-around player. Maybe he doesn't hit as far as maybe um, some of the guys at the top, like a Bryson or Finau or even a JT. Um, but Berger definitely has the, the all-around game to, to compete well here. Scotty Scheffler, very similar. Uh, bomber off the tee. Uh, actually has a really underrated on the green game. Good with his irons. I think Scotty, even though he's the last guy on this team, I, I still expect him to, uh, to get a lot of points for the USA. Speed, Xander, and English are my last three. Speeth only because the driver is always a, a, is a question for him, but once you get off the tee with Spieth, like, he's the best in the world with the irons, um, with the round game, and the putting, so I I, I do have concerns, obviously, with him hitting the fairway and, and, and his lack of distance here, but I'm not going to fade him because of that, because the rest of the game is so good. Uh, Xander's been in a little bit of dicey form since he's won the Olympics, I think he's having a little bit of a kind of a hangover from that, but again, like, he's a top eight player in the world, so... I say lukewarm, but like Xander Shoffley should still get plenty of points for the USA. And then Harris English is my last guy. Again, another guy that's long off the tee. Uh, another guy that has a good short game um, and a multiple time winner this year on the PJ Tour. So like I said, those are 12 names on the USA that I'm either A plus or lukewarm on. I'm not fading anyone on this team. I think Stricker did a really good job of picking for course fit, picking for uh, recent form. And so, uh, yeah, that's kind of the, I think the biggest edge the USA has. Over Europe would be their depth from top to bottom moving on to the European side. We have my lukewarm picks are Sergio Hatton, Rory and Lowry. Sergio probably one of the um, I'd say top three or four off the tee guys around here My only concern with Sergio obviously is the putter and as you move on through the back his long iron game Isn't as strong as like his wedges and short irons Um, But Sergio I think definitely has the pedigree of the Ryder Cup and has the recent form uh, To put up a few points on the board here if he can get the putter going Tyrrell Hatton um, I'm trending a little bit down on Hatton. His recent form isn't as good, but I like his course fit and again Hatton's a guy that if he is playing his best, he can he can be a top 10, top 15 player in the world for sure. Um, Rory is a guy I'm lukewarm on. That's kind of the guy that um, I think most people would expect to be an A-plus tout and I think he's the guy that Europe needs considering he's outside of ROM, their most uh, I guess their most highly touted, or their most high-profile player. Um, but, yeah, Rory is – he's lukewarm for me just because the irons haven't really been there. I haven't really seen um, the Rory of old in, in a little while. <laughs> he, has, um, he has the win at the Wells Fargo, obviously, where he gained about seven strokes putting. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm lukewarm on Rory for sure, especially as opposed to some of the prop markets we'll get into later. And then Shane Lowry is my last lukewarm player on Team Europe, um, especially kind of a coastal course with the winds looking to kip, kick up here with some straights um, Lowry struggles with the team, but he, his iron play has been phenomenal. He has a really crafty short game. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to fade Lowry by any means. So then I've got five names left on the European team. And this is where I feel like the difference really comes when we get to my bets. Uh, Fleetwood, Poulter, Westwood, Fitzpatrick, and Reesberger, they're all fades for me. And this is again, kind of like the last five names on the European roster. Fleetwood, I mean, we haven't seen Fleetwood in good form for like over a year now. Uh, he's like struggling to finish top 40 at Wyndham and Um, I just think he's kind of outclassed here, just based on what we've seen in the Fleetwood um, for the past year or so. Ian Poulter, again, the lack of distance hurts. The fact that he doesn't have the great course history here. um, Honestly, he's got the immense Ryder cup history, but if we're just talking pure, like, spreadsheet golf, like um, recent form and course fit, I'm going to fade Poulter, even though he'll probably bear a couple 40-footers and break my heart at some point in the weekend. Uh, Lee Westwood, another guy. Uh, had a good stretch of golf at the players in the Arnold Palmer this year, but uh, by and large, he's a little bit outclassed here. Um, he just doesn't really, again, he doesn't really hit it far enough. He's a good tee to green player, um, but the putter is bulky enough, and he doesn't really have, like I said, the distance to, to really uh, be a factor. I don't think. Fitzpatrick and uh two other guys that are kind of short hitters. like you, you see like a bit of a trend. Like USA built their team um, for the course they have a ton of guys that are inside that, you know, they're above average in driving distance. Whereas the Europeans kind of are forced to the back back on the roster to pick just the best players. And maybe not necessarily the best course fits. Um, Fitzpatrick and Eastberger being, uh, two guys that don't hit it very long. Uh, their ball striking just isn't up to the standards. Some of the elite guys you'll see they'll be paired up against. And, uh, Fitzpatrick in particular has been actually pretty lackluster in, uh, his round, the green, pl- the ground, the green play that he's had over the last few, uh, few events. So if, if it's Patrick's short game isn't working, then he's definitely going to be someone to pick on later on. But yeah, that's just a quick rundown of of, um, of the teams for me. I've got, um, yeah, like I said, I've got all 12 guys on the USA that I think are very capable of, of putting good performances in here. I just think at the back end of the European roster, there are just a few too many holes. And that's why I've got the USA uh, winning this event. I've got a minus 165. I bet 25 units on it. After the uh, the open championship, after Colin Morikawa actually won the open, and so um, that that would be my main bets. If you want to go into like prop markets and stuff like that, um, I think the winning margin bets for the USA are are actually decent value. I don't see this being an overly like lopsided Ryder Cup. So what I'm seeing right here is the USA to win by one to three plus three hundred. The USA to win by four to six plus three thirty. Uh, if you don't want to take the outright juice on the US, I think it's probably around minus 180, 185 now. Um, I think those are two good bets because you cover, I think, m- most of the outcomes. It would be a real surprise to me if, if the U.S. wins by seven or more uh, points in this format. And then finally, we'll kind of get to um, my last kind of prop market I'm interested in, which would be the top point scorer for each team. So, like I, like I mentioned um, on kind of the tier list here, but in Team Europe, I like, uh, I like Paul Casey at 10 to 1, I like Victor Hovland, seven to one. I think both those guys are going to be really relied upon for Team Europe uh, if they're going to have success here. Uh, both great T to green players and uh, and players that I think fit Wilson Straits really well, hit the ball a long way, um, and yeah, are going to be really tough to play against with their T to green acumen. And then on Team USA, uh, it's kind of tougher to tell with them just because I think so much of this is based on uh, what pairing Stricker decides to uh, deploy on the first two days. But I do like Xander uh, Cantley to be. Pair together. Uh, they played together at the Presidents Cup in 2019. They played together at Zurich Classic in New Orleans, the only team event on the PGA Tour. And so, yeah, Cantley and Xander right now are plus 650, plus 750. I think if they they could be they could be a pairing that gets paired up early on Friday and then is able to carry some momentum there, able to win matches. So I like them as a uh, as a top point scorer outright um, for the USA. And um, yeah, it, it's it's kind of hard. It's one piece of advice I will give is the pairings won't come out until um, I believe Wednesday or Thursday night or Friday morning. So I would I would monitor the first pairings that particularly the USA wants to bring out there because um, you see this a lot in round of cups where if if a pairing begins to gain momentum they will stick together. So just the fact that you are guaranteed at least one match and the possibility for them to be the team captain be able to ride their hot hand. If a guy like a Bryson or a female who are currently listed at like nine to one and 12 to one in the market, they're two guys that I, I do think fit the course really well. And if they are given the opportunity, they could really run the table, um, for, uh, for team USA. So those are kind of my, my, my takes, uh, individual takes for, for, uh, the Ryder cup. And, um, yeah, all in all, that's, that's, that's my, that's my thesis. I think the USA just has too much depth for the Europeans. Um, and in a course like this, where off the tee is, is so important, I think um, Europe's just got too many deficiencies at the back end of their roster. So uh, I don't know if Chris has any questions after that huge <laughs> soliloquy, but um, that's that's what I'm going with. Team USA, 25 units to 115 at minus 165. I will say if you if you do want to ride with me and, and, and maybe you don't want to lay as much juice, I would find maybe a big favorite in a baseball or a football. Well, so that's what I was going to get now. We can go with our famous... Our favorite golf NASCAR parlay here. Oh right, yeah. You
0: could you could match it up with so like for instance, I've matched one of my picks. So you match up like, you know, a Chase Elliott with, with Team USA.
1: That yeah, that's actually a lot to hit <laughs> you. Know, I was I was saying I mean you're,
0: you're something like a more block yeah, yeah, like, of a hit.
1: Yeah, because the thing is like if you if you wanna like even play like a minus four on a favorite, you can still get that price down from like minus twenty eight, one hundred eighty eight to like minus one oh eight. Like you can you can lose eighty cents and the, the one I'm seeing here is, like, Carolina to beat Houston in the NFL on Thursday night. Like, I think uh, Carolina's playing really, really well with their defense. Uh, Houston's starting a rookie quarterback in Davis Mills. I think that's a pretty good um, – that's a pretty good bet to parlay. So, you have a minus minus four a favorite and the Carolina Panthers. You have a minus 188 favorite for the USA to win the Red Cup. That translates down to minus 109 um, in total for the two parlays. So, if all of a sudden the Panthers do beat the Texans, which I think most people expect them to, all of a sudden you're basically at USA you're getting USA to pick them, which – I think most people would would hammer that, but yeah, um, we could definitely do the parlay as well. And, and kind we, could of, also
0: do, we could also do Hendrick Motorsports best
1: winning manufacturer or that's winning, winning team. Yeah, and w- plus what is one sixty, and that probably yeah that probably gets us up to like close to two to one, three to one, at least.
0: Yeah, well, the site that we use doesn't let me parlay
1: <laughs> these, but <laughs> right, right, but, but it's all good. I, what I am saying is, if you do like particular prop or particular game on the weekend slate, you can. You don't have to pay the full 188 juice that uh, right. that's required to bet on the USA. So that's my lean. I'm I'm hammering it. I'm betting all 25 units on the USA. If like I said, if the the uh, pairings come out on Thursday or Friday, and a name kind of slips the cracks as far as like a value in the um, kind of the the highest points getter for either team. Like if a Bryce or a go out early, are the two guys I'm really looking for. I'm gonna be I'll I'll be adding them live on our Twitter page at uh, Flag Hunting. So uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I have for the Cup. If uh, Chris has any questions, but I'm super excited for this event. And um, either way, it's gonna be a lot of fun on Sunday to watch the best in the world, you know, try to take down one of the most coveted trophies in all golf. For sure. What, what what
0: better way to lead into a NASCAR race on Sunday than to watch the USA players? But look at that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So yeah, I think that will uh, that will wrap us up. Um, like we said, we'll tweet out our, I guess really your card's pretty easy this week. But yeah, tweet <laughs> out our cards. At flag underscore hunting on Twitter, and we'll add any uh, any other live picks that we might have as we get closer. So, thanks for joining us for week two of the podcast. We will see you guys week three, hopefully with some better news than we did <laughs> from week one. Peace out, guys.